I want you to turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 9, New American Standard. And then because um, the New American Standard doesn't have the force of this, I'm going to read it from the, the uh, J.B. Phillips translation. So here we go. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed, portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, the first five verses of this, now, now if you got a letter from your pastor like this, you'd probably be getting a U-Haul trailer out ready for him. Well, this is what he said. This is the force of it. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, who saw Jesus Christ the crucified so plainly, who has, been, who has been casting a spell over you. I shall ask you one simple question. Did you receive the Spirit of God by trying to keep the law or by believing the message of the gospel? Surely you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the Spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward observances. Has all your painful experiences brought you nowhere? I simply cannot believe it of you. Does God who gives you His Spirit and works miracles among you do these things because you've obeyed the law or because you've believed the gospel? Ask yourselves that. Now that gets pretty, that's pretty plain, isn't it? You might ask, who is this guy who talks like this, could say such stuff, powerful stuff? Well, if you look back to the first chapter, he is an apostle, he's the writer of this letter, and he's the champion of the message of grace to the Gentiles. And when you put it all together, he's a person of authority, and he's writing to people who had drifted from the teaching of God and the gospel of the grace of God. He's God's man addressing the era of legalism. Now, what is legalism? Somebody asked me that not long ago. What do you mean by legalism? A simple definition of legalism is this. It's conforming to a standard 
for the purpose of exalting self. Now, it might not be admitted, you know, that I'm exalting self, but legalism is conforming to a standard for the purpose of exalting self. For the person who is exalted in legalism is not Christ, but self. Wiry has a great definition, an, uh, an amplification of the definition, when he talks about what legalism is not. And this is what he says. He says, liberty is not license. Liberty brought us to be a slave to righteousness. Christian liberty does not give Christian freedom to live as he pleases. It places us in a position to live as God pleases. So that liberated living is not unrestricted living. Now, when I introduced this sermon, uh, this series of sermons, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that the great watershed among, uh, you know, in evangelical denominationalism is at this point. If a person is saved by grace, does that mean that all that person, that person can just sin all he wants to? I've had people say, well, man, if I believe like that, I could just sin all I wanted to. My question is, don't you sin all you want to now? I sin more than I want to now. For what Christian liberty does is place us in a position so that we can live as God pleases. And it is not unrestricted living. It does not mean that a person walks down the aisle of the church and then lives like he pleases from then on. Now you can think of legalism in two ways. There is legalistic salvation and there is legalistic sanctification. Now legalistic salvation is this. It means, it's, it says, in order for me to be right with God, I've got to do something that adds to the work of Christ so that God will look at me and be pleased and include me in His family. It's not Christ plus nothing. It's Christ plus something in the law or something I do. Legalistic salvation, let me say it again, is saying this, in order to be right with God, I've got to do something so when God looks at me, He'll be pleased and will call me into his family. It isn't Christ plus nothing. It's Christ plus something from the law or something I do. So it's Christ, my faith in Christ, plus this, plus this, plus this. That's legalism. Legalistic salvation. Now legalistic sanctification is this. It's, it's saying, now that I am in Christ... I know I'll be closer to Him if I leave off certain things and if I do certain other things. In other words, now that I am in Christ, in order to keep myself in Christ, I've got to do this and this and not do this and this. That's legalistic sanctification. Now, why do these people backslide? Something kind of humorous happened to me this week. I was... I, I was coming down this street, down this street, so I stopped on the other side and parked, you know, facing east. And I was fixing to get out of my car, and I noticed this old guy walking down the sidewalk. He looked up on the marquee, and there was the title of the sermon tonight, Backsliding into Legalism. And the old guy just stood there and looked at that a long time, and I was watching him. I could just hear him thinking, what in the world is going to go on in this place? Sunday night. Backsliding, legal, what does that mean? 
Well, you can backslide in, a, in, in different ways. I mean, you can backslide. Not, we're not talking about moral backsliding or backsliding into a sinful lifestyle. We're talking about going back to a legalistic uh, approach to, to, to one's sanctification, one's Christian living. That's what he's talking about here. Now, we're still in chapter 1 before we get to chapter 3. Verse 7, he talks about this. He talks about this thing which is a, a, you know, a distortion of the gospel, and he, and he calls it literally spiritual treason. For Paul has been preaching the gospel of grace, and the gospel of grace is that I totally rely upon Him. I turn all my eternity over to God, and I claim heaven on what Christ did. That's the gospel of grace. But he says in chapter 2, verse 4, that false brethren came in. Let's look at that. It's because of false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. False brethren had slipped in. And, 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 and he says in verse 5, he said, But I did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. Let me give you a challenge tonight. Don't give an hour of your life not a single hour to somebody who preaches a doctrine of legalism. If they come to your door with their slide presentation and their books, don't give them an hour of your... What are you letting those folks in your house for? And why are you reading that stuff on legalism? Don't give it an hour of your time. I challenge you to do that. Now chapter 3 begins this... He begins with a rebuke this is a powerful word. When he writes chapter 3 of Galatians, he's furious. You talk about an angry preacher. Uh, Martin Luther says that these words are like volcanic lava. They are, he's erupting. He is literally exploding with anger. And the thing that makes him so angry, so furious is, is that a person could begin salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus and then turn again to try to complete that salvation by what he does. That just infuriated him. And he says it like this, having begun by the Spirit, you began your Christian life supernaturally. Now you're trying to live the Christian life naturally. You became a Christian by the grace of God and, and, and receiving the Holy Spirit and He worked a miracle of salvation in you and then you're going to bring that Christian life to maturity? You're going you're to uh, uh, mature that Christian faith by what you do, by human effort? That's idiotic. Now our problem is, I think, is that we believe God and we're saved by grace but somehow we've come to believe that in order to come to full maturity, it's, on, it's, it's up to me from now on. I mean, I get saved supernaturally, but if I'm going to ever get beyond that, if I'm going to keep that salvation, it's up to me. Um, I, I racked my brain for some illustration of it, and I came up with a crude one. The guy goes down, he's getting ready to take a vacation, and, and he uh, gets him a new car. His old car's worn out. He, well, he needs a new car anyway. He's going to take us on vacation. He's going to be gone quite a while. So he buys him a new car. 
fills her up with gas and heads out on vacation. Got his kids and his wife in the car and they're headed out. About 300 miles down the road, he runs out of gas. His friend comes by and sees him out there and they outside that car just pushing it away down the road, headed toward the mountains, pushing. He pulls over and he says, uh, what, what's the problem? He said, oh, no problem. He said, we just, uh, we're going on vacation. I think we'll be there in a couple of weeks if things go well. You're dreading those mountains, boy. Get up trying to push this, this baby up those mountains. And you say, well, um, aren't cars to drive <laughs> and to ride in? Oh, yeah, they were at first, but now it's up to us to push them. Sure dread those mountains. Sure seems strange to me that if your salvation depended upon what God did for you, sure seems strange that the maturity of that Christian life and the preservation of it is up to your effort. Sure seems strange to Paul. In fact, he says, it's like you were hypnotized. Have you ever been hypnotized? Now, I've, I've never been hypnotized, but I was with a guy one time. I took this guy to a professional counselor in Lubbock, Texas, and he practiced hypnosis. Well, I understand. I don't think the guy was ever hypnotized, but well, I understand, in order to be hypnotized, you've got to have full concentration. You got to, he has to have your undivided attention. And what's infuriating the apostle is, is that somehow they turned their attention from grace to something else. As a matter of fact, he says, you were bewitched. It's like you, you know, like the evil eye. Now, some of you remember little Abner. You remember that? Shake your head like this if you remember. Oh, us old-timers remember little Abner. It's Snoopy the dog now, but it's little Abner when I was a kid. Now, little Abner, was it Mammy Yoakum that had the evil eyes? You know, she'd just look at somebody and zap, boy, they just mesmerized. And once they get, you know, in order to get that, get your eye, they got to have you, know, you got to have it, get, get it for some, you know, move it from some, the attention to, 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 from somewhere to somewhere else. So here comes Mammy Yoakum, and she gets their attention and zap, got them by the evil eye and just mesmerizes him. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying somewhere along the line, if you've turned from a doctrine of grace to a doctrine of works, somebody has put a spell on you like an evil eye. That's idiotic, he said. Now there are two reasons that it is wrong. I need you to get these. There are two reasons why it is wrong. The first reason is if you turn from a doctrine of grace to a doctrine of law or works or effort, you fail to appreciate the meaning of the cross. Now he said, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ has been set forth crucified. The word there, set forth, those two words, is a Greek word, placard. Placard. It means to be billboarded, to be placarded. And back in that day, you know, they didn't have neon lights or they didn't have uh, uh, television, of course. So when there was a big event happening, somebody would go down into the, to the uh, strategic part of the community and he would placard, billboard, billboard this event, put it up so that everybody could see it. Now, he, he wasn't saying that they were eyewitnesses to the crucifixion, but he was saying this. The cross of Jesus Christ has been so presented to you 
that it was as if you were there to see it. It was as if you saw them strip him and beat him. It was as if you saw him when he was, had a crown of thorns placed upon his brow. It was as if you were there when he agonized on the cross and you saw that with your eye. I presented that to you in uncertain terms. And if you turn from a doctrine of grace to a doctrine of human, human effort, it's as if he didn't even die. For the cross is an antithesis to human effort. If it could be based on human effort, why would there need to be a cross, you see? Now the cross says two things. The cross says you can't. You can't gain the approval of God. You by human effort can't please a holy God. You can't for two reasons. First, because of the weakness of the flesh. You couldn't if you wanted to. And secondly, because of the wickedness of human flesh. There is something inherent about human effort. And the thing that is inherent in human effort is pride. You couldn't please a holy God if you worked your you know, day and night to do it. You can't. It says the second thing. It says, I have already. I mean... Everything that's necessary for your salvation and your sanctification has already been accomplished in what Jesus did. When he cried, Teletelestai, it is finished, he meant that everything necessary for your right standing with God had been accomplished in his death and resurrection. And the second reason why it is wrong is because it goes against the message of the Old Testament. Now watch this carefully. I'm going to read verses 6 and 9 again. He said, Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Now this is what he's saying. He's saying, you like Moses, and you think that the way to do it is to go back to Moses and Moses' law? I'll go you one better than that. I'll go back to somebody who preceded Moses. I'll go back to Abraham, the father of every Jew. Now let me, tell, let me ask you, how was Abraham justified? By works? No. Abraham was justified by faith. For God came to him, and you remember how it happened? He said to Abraham, you're going to have a son. He's well past age. He's 100 years, 90 years old at the time. You're going to have a son. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God's word, and immediately it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now he said, now let me tell you how to be of, of the tribe of the family of Abraham. It's the same way you get that Abraham got to be a child of God by faith and faith alone. Now the question is, how do I get saved? Through faith in the finished work of Jesus and God's promise that that's enough. How do I reach full maturity in my Christian life? 
That's the big question. Most everybody here tonight has been saved. How do I come to full maturity? Is it that I try harder? Is it I come to church more? Is it I read more of my Bible? Is it I give more effort to it? No, the same way you receive Christ in the first place, by faith and the surrender of your life to Him in trustful surrender. And He begins to produce in you through the work of the Holy Spirit and reproduce in you the life of Jesus and you appropriate His work by faith. Now there are three applications, three lessons. Number one, legalism is an aggressive enemy. Don't make friends with it. It's an aggressive enemy. Makes sense. Seems logical. No such thing as a free, free lunch. Anything worthwhile, you've got to earn. So somebody is bound to tell you that in order to maintain right standing with God, you've got to apply aggressive human effort. It's not true. Second, backsliding is a temporary insanity. Don't try to reason with it. And third, salvation is a free gift. Don't try to earn it. It's a free gift. Don't try to earn it. Let's pray together. Our Father, for this word we thank you and for the freedom it gives us to live our lives in faith, believing that you will accomplish in us what we can't accomplish ourselves. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name. Now, there might be someone tonight who needs to trust Jesus as his Savior, her Savior. It's an appropriation by faith. Would you trust him tonight to save you? Maybe you need to come tonight to reaffirm your faith, to join our church, whatever God leads you to do. Do it while we stand to sing. Would you come?